0: Father, I thank you that you've got a word through Carol this morning And we really come with hearts of expectation We say, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you transform our lives through your vessel? In Jesus' name, amen Amen, amen, amen. Oh my gosh, I love that, the firecracker I've always wanted to be there, thank you <laughs> Thank you During worship, I just had this vision And I want to, I want to s- uh, speak it to you I literally saw you, me, the armies of God just riding into Africa. I saw streams and streams and streams of people just riding into cities, riding into towns, riding into villages. And I just heard the Lord saying, It's my time for an invasion. It's a time for my invasion. I have prepared my church. I have prepared my church, and I am coming in power to this continent, for I've heard the prayers of the millions of people who have cried out to me for deliverance and for hope. And I am sending you, I hear him saying, gird up your loins, take what you need, stand up, rise up, take courage, for I am leading you into a victory that I have gone before you to accomplish. Ride in, take your place, make yourself known, for I am bringing a victory that will turn the world on its head. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to our first second service of 2021. Can you feel the power and the energy of Jesus Christ rising up in your soul? This is who you are, church. You are the armies of the living God. When God talks about the great things He's gonna gonna do on the earth, He's talking about you. He's talking about you. You are you are the vessels of His power on this earth today. Amen. We are talking about the year of yes. The year of yes, and what we mean by that is that God has proclaimed a giant yes over your life, and as we look at that giant yes to all his promises, as we see the great possibilities that he has wrought and he has declared over our lives, our response to that giant yes that he has proclaimed over our life is yes, Lord, yes, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, yes, yes, yes. And today we're going to be talking about yes to winning. Yes to winning. Take a deep breath. You are meant to win. You are meant to succeed. You are meant to be great. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, would you come and do that in our hearts? So, God, I pray that today we would leave here just able to win the kind of winning that you are talking about, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last Monday, I went running with someone considerably younger than me. It was lovely, it was lovely. We were doing 15 Ks. It's a long way. At 14 Ks, we had just come up a very steep hill. We were smashed. So we were running a little bit slower because it's only one K to go and it was a nice gentle downhill all the way to the finish. And we were just uh, enjoying it, chatting. You know, after 14 Ks, you're a little bit smelly. You understand that? I mean, there's sweat coming out of places you didn't know you could sweat. But we are, we, are, we are fine, and we are, we're together, we're enjoying it. It's a beautiful autumn morning. And then, to my left, out of our house, comes a lady. She is dressed in everything matching. Do you know after 14Ks, nothing's matching? You understand that? Even if it started out matching, it's no longer matching. She comes out, everything's matching. Her hair's done. Her makeup's done. She's got those new shoes that look like they've never touched the ground. And she smells so magnificent. Just the waft of her perfume is is just coming over us. You know what the temptation in my heart was? To just shrink a little bit. But I didn't. I said to her, I'm making excuses now. I said to her, hey, we're on 14Ks. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted her to know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's why we don't look like you. We're on 14Ks, so it's fine if you overtake us. And she was just slowly, she wasn't like overtaking in a large way, but she was slowly pulling ahead of us. She turns to us in a very condescending way and says, That's nice. Yeah, I know. So I so I'm with I'm with this girl, and and you know, I'm just justifying everything. I'm making myself feel better for coming in second. I'm fine with it. I'm I'm working on my own soul. I hear the girl next to me. She didn't say these exact words, but she, 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 sa- she said, but, but actually what I heard was, heck no, <laughs> heck no. And I, I feel this energy coming from her, and she just starts pulling forward. I can, I can feel the drive rising up. her. I mean, everything in her body language was saying, that woman is not getting to the end of this road before me. And I mean, now wh- what do I do? I've got this happening on my right. I've got the perfume lady on my left, or both pulling ahead of me. I had no choice. So I just, I just gave it my last shot. I mean, we ran that last K. Like, you won't believe. I mean, we screamed home. I mean, we were like running like the wind. I don't think I've ever run a, a kilometer that fast in my whole life. This girl next to me, I mean, she was, it was like every step said, heck no, no one with that much perfume is beating me, ever. <laughs> she, I mean, it's nothing wrong with wearing perfume, you know what I'm saying. But, but I mean, she, she came screaming home. What is the moral of the story? Is that every human being wants to win. There's something in our souls that wants to cross the finish line, like up at the front. We don't want to be that also ran person. You know, we, we want our life to count. We want people to look back at our life and say, man, look what she did. Look what he did. Man, they were amazing. Did you see that last kilometer? It was fantastic. You know, we, everyone wants something like that to be said about them. Jesus had some very interesting disciples. You remember. At least two times they did this, because in two of the Gospels it's recorded twice. In another Gospel it's recorded once. But, but at least two times they were arguing or discussing about who would be the greatest. You remember that story. One time James and John even sent their mother. It's like you go ahead of us and make sure that Jesus gives us that best place. I mean, this was, a, this was a conversation that was happening amongst them. Jesus knew about this. Because sometimes they asked him. Sometimes they just had it like in the background. And he turned to them and said, what are you discussing? They were like, ah, uh, actually. But here's the wild thing. Not one time did he rebuke them. He didn't say to them, my gosh, how can you be that selfish that you want to be the greatest? He didn't say to them, just get back in line. He said, okay, you want to be the greatest. Let me tell you how. Let me show you how to be the greatest in the the kingdom. He didn't even rebuke their mom when she came. I mean, it's like, sure, let me tell you how we do it. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, he said. He said, become like a little child. He said, humble yourself. Don't lord it over others. Get down into the trenches and do what I do. And he said, and then you will be the greatest. Then you'll be the greatest. In fact, in Luke 22, after he's had this discourse with them, he says this to them. So he's talking about being the greatest. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I don't know how much winning that speaks to you, but getting a whole kingdom and sitting on thrones and judging nations, I don't know how you feel like, but that sounds like a pretty winning place to me. It's like God's ambitions for you are just bigger than your ambitions, He's constantly calling you up to think bigger. Because the victory he wants to give you is just more than you've comprehended. You're asking just for a a nice place amongst the disciples where James and John were, and he's saying, heck, I'm going to give you a kingdom. But do you notice how it started? sometimes you just wish some things weren't in the bible he says you are those who have stayed with me in my trials who does the kingdom come to who do these thrones come to what does this place of winning who does it come to it comes to those who remain in the trials with jesus He gives it to his buddies. He gives it to his friends. He gives it to his people in the trenches with him. He gives it to the people that are stuck to the job, who are pushing into the mission, who are seeing what he sees, who are going after the people he's going after, who are doing the things that he's doing. Jesus Christ gives kingdoms to those people. He gives thrones to those people. The series we are talking about The year of yes. If you haven't noticed, I don't think we even said it right at the beginning, but we are actually following the life of Paul. Did you know that he planted at least 14 churches? And those those are the ones that are mentioned. It may be that there were a lot more churches going on. But at least 14 churches. When he was growing up, he thought maybe that he could be like a good Pharisee. That was his dream. Like, I, I'll just be the best Pharisee there is. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, th- those were the religious kind of elite of the country. So I'll just, I'll just be a good Pharisee. I'll wear the right clothes. I'll do the right things. I'll be well sought after and thought of in the community. I'll tell people what to do. It'll be lovely. Jesus looked at his life and said, My friend, my friend, that is, that is, ju- that is such a mediocre goal. Come with me. Come into into the trenches with me. Come face the trials with me. Come, Come and do the work I do. And I'll give you a kingdom. Fourteen churches. An army of people moving into the world, carrying a gospel message that is going to turn the world upside down. Forget that Pharisee smallness. Come with me. Paul faced a number of trials. You can read about them in 2 Corinthians 11. He lists them. I mean, they are horrific. I mean, when we talk about someone who faced some tough things, it says he was a number of times lashed with the 40 lashes minus one. You know about those lashes. Those are the, the in, in that ancient time, they thought that 40 lashes killed you. So they gave you 39 lashes. It's like take you to the brink of death, and just stop before you die. A number of times he's experienced that. He says he was abandoned, shipwrecked. He was f- like floating on the water for a couple of days. He was put before uh, wild animals. I mean, it's just like, like the things of your nightmares. And this is what he wrote. Second Corinthians, verse 1, he said this. Blessed be the God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A, a funnier side note: I had to practice that like five times because there's so many comforted and afflictions. It's really hard to say, but nonetheless, you get it. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, so we also share, or so you also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there, my friends? I think some of you have been there. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to live tomorrow. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You know, the thing about Paul is that he refused point blank to live a comfortable life. If I have to look at the church today and the world today, you know, I feel like one of the biggest idols that we face is the idol of comfort. It's like it calls to us every morning when that alarm goes off. You know, it's calling all the time. It's like, don't go the extra mile. It's that one, you know, just stay where you are. Just be safe. It's that idol that says, "You know, your biggest need is some new stuff—another car, bigger house, a better lounge suite, nicer curtains. I don't know, a nicer bike. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Whatever you, you, you put your thing in there. You know, you have your thing. You know, it's, it's this, it's, v- it's a voice, and it's very sweet, and it's kind, and it just sucks you in." To like a very soft sofa. Just stay here. Everything will be nice. Isn't this lovely? I'm just laughing because the picture of you being sucked into a sofa is coming into my mind. I'm trying to push it away. Lord Jesus, help me, help me stay focused. But but here's the thing. It truly is an idol that will kill you. It will suffocate the life out of you. Because, church, that's not what you were made for. That's not what you were made for. You were made to win. You were made to succeed. You were made to be great. There is something in your soul that is crying out for the high places, for the big challenges, for the victories. Something in you is crying out to be with Jesus as he heals the sick, as he gets the Oppressed free as he reaches into the heart of a, a person destitute and lonely and says, Come, I have something for you. There is something in your heart that wants to see that, wants to be there as that happens. There's something in you that wants that. My friends, we have to, le- have, we have to resist that comfort idol with everything we have because it will destroy your call. It will destroy your call. You see, what Paul is saying in here is that he was determined that comfort wasn't going to be his idol, but what he discovered as he began to move with Jesus, do the things Jesus has called him, face the challenges, come through despair of his life, and then see the victory on the other side and look back and say, oh my word, did you see what Jesus did? did?" Everyone wants a miracle. No one wants a circumstance that demands a miracle. And what he noticed is something powerful, is that when he was near death, when he he was facing these difficulties, the presence of Jesus was so strong that there was an internal comfort that came up that was so, so much better than he could ever experience by his own hand. There was nothing in his life that he could make comfortable for himself that that would exceed the, the... Beauty, the loveliness, the warmness, the comfort, the security of Jesus Christ around him. The God of all comfort. This is what he saw. In that moment was that there was a God who would meet him. Who would meet him in the trench, who would meet him in the difficulty. And that made it worth it. That turned the ditch into a palace. That turned the hardship into a party. This is what God wants wants for you. He's asking you to come on the great adventure with him. And he's saying, as you go, even when it's difficult, you will experience a comfort so great that you will just spurn that comfort idol in favor of this experience with me. Comforted, but not comfortable. Like I said, there are some scriptures in the Bible that you just wish weren't there, and Philippians 3 verse 7 is one of those, my friends. Every time I read it, I just quake in my boots. I, I, I want to say it with Paul, but sometimes I'm just like, should I actually say this? But I've said it anyway, so it's done now. But starting in verse seven, but whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is what winning looks in the kingdom. This is what winning looks like in the kingdom. These are the greatest. These are the ones who wear the crowns in life. And I'm not just talking about when you get to heaven. These are the ones who stand in situations with the authority of heaven and command the situations to change. These are the ones that history will look back and say, the world is different because they lived. These are the ones. Have you heard about Martin? The Martin, the Martin who skipped grade 1 through grade 11 and went straight to grade 12 matric and passed with all A's. Have you heard about him? You haven't heard about him because he doesn't exist. (laughs) You can't pass matric without doing all the other grades. It just doesn't happen. You can't do it. You know, one of the greatest reasons people balk, B-A-L-K, it's an it's a unusual word. It means run away from. Run away from their destiny is they get bored with the mundane, everyday things they have to do. My friends, if you're going to change the world, you're going to have to master your temper. Every day. Every day. You're going to have to bring your appetites under control every day you're going to have to do your admin every day brush your teeth every day you know what i'm saying make your bed every day great victories are the are a success are the result of a succession of minor victories everyone looks at these people who have this blowout victory And they say, "Oh my word! Overnight success? No such thing. That great breakthrough was a result of a day-in and day-out slog, a a long, a long discipline. That's the word. A long discipline in the same direction, over and over and over." again, I'm going to knock this wall until it falls, and I will come back tomorrow, and I will knock it again, and I will knock it the next day, because Jesus said, go this way, and so I'm going this way, and then the wall wall bursts open, and everyone says, oh my word, overnight success. A long discipline in the same direction. Master the mundane. You're going to have to do the boring over and over and over Again, and you're going to have to do the exciting small things yes. over and over and over again. You're going to have to read your Bible every day. I said to a person the other day, um, "Have you read your Bible re- recently?" They said, "No, I haven't." I said, "Well, try reading Matthew one." He said, oh, "I know the whole thing. I know it all." <laughs> I said, "So, <laughs> I said, what's in what's in Deuteronomy five? Tell me." Of course he doesn't know it all. <laughs> I mean, he was like, I've, I've read it before. My gosh, read it again. <laughs> I mean, he was, a, he was a particularly grumpy man. So I was like, clearly you don't know it. <laughs> clearly you didn't get it the last time you read it. Read it again. Keep doing Keep doing the right things over and over again. Master your internal temperament. Master the, the everyday stuff that has to be done. I don't know what you're called to. Maybe you're not going to plant 14 churches. Maybe you will. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're called to impact government in a significant way. Maybe you're s- called to start companies. Maybe you're you called to, to raise dynamic children. Maybe you're called to, to be an influencer in your sphere Sphere of work. Whatever that is. Keep doing the right things. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. The wall will fall. The wall will fall. Master and the mundane. Another scripture that the first time I read it just really freaked me out. It's Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. If you haven't read it, read it and be freaked out with me. (laughs) Jesus talks about a man who comes to three servants, and he gives the first one five talents. Lovely. uh, Talent was a large sum of money. He gave the second one two talents. I'm like, why, Lord? I'm starting to get a bit edgy. But he gave him two talents. And then he comes to the poor old third person and gives him one talent. Now, I don't know where you read yourself into the story, but I read myself totally in as the one talent. And so then, then he goes away, he comes back, and the five-talent guy has made five more talents. And he gets praised. And I'm like, oh, cool. Second guy comes back, two talents. He's made two more talents, gets praised. I'm like, cool. You know, I, I, I'm anticipating the story. The one-talent guy is going to come back, and he's going to get something fantastic. God's going to say something to him like, oh, you poor guy, you only got one. It doesn't even matter what you did with your talent. I'm just going to love you anyway. Because I'm the one talent person, you know? That's what I'm expecting. He comes back and he hasn't done anything with his talent, and I understand. The other dude got five, he, other guy, got two. I mean, I, I only got one. It's like God's, God, God's been mean to me from the start. I'm the hard done by one. You know, I'm the victim. The li- life is totally unfair. So therefore, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything, because life's unfair. And the master comes back, and he says, you worthless servant. You worthless servant. And you know, when I read that, I mean, I just, all my justice buttons are just uh, freaking out. Freaking out. But then I heard the spirit whisper in my ear, and he said this, he said this, all he had to do was make one more talent and he would have been the two-talent guy. And I realized, that's not so hard. I realized, you know what, I don't, have to, I, don't have to, I don't have to write myself into the story as the one-talent guy. I can, I can write myself into the story as the two-talent guy. And all I have to do is simply be faithful with what I've, got, what I've got and multiply what I do have. Not look at what I don't have, but say, I have something, let me multiply it. Let me, let me put this on the table. Let me bring this to the party. Let me not get out of my self-pity and say, hey, I do have something, let me do it. And heck, there I am in the story. I'm the two-telling guy. I've gone from the one talent guy to the two talent guy. And now I'm, I've learned how to multiply. And now I'm bringing in four talents and I'm getting the praise. And after that, I'm going to go multiply those four talents. And then I'm the eight talent guy. You know, before, it, before we can even talk, I'm ahead of that five talent guy. Sure. Why? Because I just was faithful. I mastered the mundane. I just did with what I had what I could. Master the mundane. The last thing I want to talk about, just jumping back to that Philippians scripture, verse 10 says this, that Paul, Paul said, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. Looking back at the original passage that we looked at in 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 9, he said this, if you remember, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, Paul could face these hectic, this hectic stuff because he'd seen a Savior that fa- had faced far worse than him and death could not hold him. See, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us is that there's nothing impossible for God. There are no dead ends. There are no I'm stumped moments for God. What else it tells me is that everything will be well in the end. And if it's not well now, it's not the end. Everything in the kingdom, everything in the kingdom is heading towards resurrection. It's the nature of the kingdom. It's so alive it cannot be held down. It cannot be held back. And so when we're in those trenches and we're facing the difficulties, this is what my hope is for you, is that you will be the kind of people that won't stop. Really, you'll be the kind of person whose boss comes in grumpy again and you still put on a smile and you still say good things and you still love your neighbor and you still share Christ because you know there's a resurrection coming. You know there's a breakthrough ahead. You know because that's who God is. And so you master the mundane. You prepare to be uncomfortable. You receive his company, and you take the next step. You do the next thing. You go after the victory. I want you to be the per- kind of person who your marriage is taking strain again. And you wake up in the morning and you still love. I want you to be the kind of person who's faced setback. Maybe you didn't get that job again. I want you to wake up in the morning and I want you to say, this is a new day, God is with me, I'm facing it again because there's always a resurrection. Mm -hmm. If it's not well, it's not the end. If the breakthrough hasn't happened, it's because we haven't got there yet, it's coming. I'm going to keep walking, I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to get there. The only way to fail in the kingdom The only way to fail in the kingdom is to give up. If you do not give up, you will succeed. How do I know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the nature of the kingdom. How do I know? Because his promises are true. And even when it seemed impossible, he was true to his word. I have a Bible full of stories that shows me a faithful God that will not go back on his word and will not abandon you. The only way to fail is to give up. Everyone who perseveres succeeds. Victory is not in improving our lives. It's in exchanging them. are saying, I'm not, I'm not going to live out my own life. I'm living Jesus' life. I'm living the life he gave me. The vision he gave me. This is not about my comfort. It's about Jesus' kingdom. And it's in that place that his comfort comes. It's in that place that your heart comes alive. It's in that place that you become the person you are meant to be. As we said Last week, surrender is life. Surrender is life. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, would you come? Can you feel that holy presence that just descended? I want us to sit in that for a moment. Lord Jesus, this is who you are. Lord God, once again, we want to surrender our lives to you. Where you are, can you do that? Can you just tell him how much you love him? Can you just confess the times that you've run after comfort at the expense of his call? And can you say, God, I'm prepared to be uncomfortable. I'm prepared to master the mundane. I'm prepared to keep at it. And I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that there's always a resurrection. That your power will come. That even here, in the midst of this, I'm, I'm getting to know you. I'm getting to know you. And in so doing, I'm becoming the kind of person that can carry the victory that you're bringing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Great people, God is with you. His grace is upon you. Next week, we have Telos Fuller with us. I know you say, who is that? <laughs> a really great preacher from the U.S. He is Brett Fuller, who f- runs our Washington, D.C. church. It's his son. He's the youth pastor, a powerful, powerful man of God. He's amazing. I'm going to ask you to find a friend and bring them next week. God is going to do incredible things amongst us. But let's can we all stand? Lord Jesus, I ask, I ask, I want you to hear this commission. I hear the Lord saying to you this, my son, my daughter, go out and be great. Carry my word, carry my anointing, carry my power. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Hear the voice of the Lord. Do the things I have called you to. Do not shrink back, for I indeed am with you. I indeed am with you. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Go be great. Go be strong. Live large. Live with Jesus. Do the things he's called you to do. There is no stopping you. Amen and amen. God bless you. Just explain this last one to me again. Victory is not moving our